He loves and she loves and they love. So why can't you love and I love too? Birds Welcome love to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Yes, it's episode 3472 or something like that. We're back anyway. I'm your uh, friendly host, Nate Larkin. Joining me, our co-host with the most from the left coast, Aaron Porter. Hi, Aaron. Good morning. And we'll have our customary, uh, just bland opening and talk about the weather. (laughs) Because uh, we're we're, we're experiencing kind of balmy weather here in Tennessee. It's not nearly as hot as it usually is in July, and the well, lawns are still green. Tennessee, and, you look like you're uh, up in the Appalachians uh, in, in your little shack there. Yeah, Big don't top. you love my virtual background? It's fantastic, <laughs> isn't it? Um, I wanted to go sit on a, on the front porch of a log cabin and magically, <laughs> I am. It's good. Yeah, yeah. so you're, you're balmy and, and not as hot as usual. No, 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 no. But I know from the Google that your life is different. What's happening out there? I don't know. We, it, it has been hot. And I was thinking about how when it gets hot here, we don't have air conditioners. Right. So when it's 106, you know. It's 106. It, yeah, it's hot. <laughs> yeah. So I, How do you sleep at night in that? I, we don't. I was just going to say – we're not getting much of a breeze through our house at night. And so yeah. last week we were up most of the night for at least three nights. It was, yeah. it was just a pain. So yeah, crazy, but it was a little cooler yesterday. It's supposed to heat up a bit. We just keep driving to the beach <laughs> and hanging out there. I understand that this has affected at least one of your public performances. <laughs> uh Yeah. Yeah, so on the day that it was 106, I was excited because I was going to get to play uh, keyboard and accordion and do some backup singing for another band at the Oyster Festival, which is clearly at the beach. So we're going to sneak the family in during sound check, and we were all going to enjoy a cool day at the beach. 103 at the beach. Uh, So bad that we had a beautiful covering. You, you saw the picture. Were oh. you there? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. You glitched out. All right. There you are. You're back. So you saw the covering, the stage. I did. Beautiful orange canopy over the stage. Yeah, it looked yeah. like a giant, the biggest tiki hut I have ever seen. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But there was one slit of sunlight coming. That was I like, could see it. Yes. It like yeah, yeah. That big. And it was right across the front of my keyboard, and I couldn't oh! do stuff. So in the middle of a song when uh, I had, this is more technical than anyone needs to hear about, there's two iPads. One of them is running some synthesizers, and during one song, it overheats the way iPads can. And it's like temperature, shutdown, warning. Yeah. Uh, so that happened. And I'm like, okay, dealt with that. And then the other iPad, because I don't know all these songs, the words has just some basic what key things are in and some lyrics. And then that yeah. shuts down, overheats. And then my entire keyboard, which I didn't even know it had a protection switch on it. And maybe it didn't. Maybe it just shut, shut off. So I was scrambling to just like toss iPads under guitar amps to get them in the shade to try to get them to turn back on. And But luckily, oh, an accordion... Wow. Yeah always works there so, you go you play uh, the accordion yes <laughs> one so, yeah. and a two and a yes so you lawrence whelped your way through it uh, please turn off of the bubble machine <laughs> yeah <laughs> we we used to watch that it was it was uh, yeah. lawrence Welk straight into the muppets if i remember something like that so yeah we didn't end up staying long the kids tried their first oysters uh which you and ali would love that and there was every kind of oyster vendor cooker you could imagine uh but yeah just the heat was crazy yeah so taking us away from uh the weather which we've made so many commitments to not talking about <laughs> failed <laughs> utterly 
<laughs> you have some Samson stuff that is occupying your personal time these days. What are you allowed to tell us at this point? Because I know it's super secret. Oh, yeah. Most of it's top secret. Highly, highly classified. Uh, but I'll tell you, it's strange. It, it, it becomes clearer to Allie and me and uh, my friends around here every day that God's behind uh, kind of a new chapter in Samson. So actually, not long after this meeting concludes, I'll be attending the first board meeting of a, of a new nonprofit called Samson House, whose uh, mission is to support the work of the Samson Society. And uh, uh, we got, uh, we've started, we've initiated uh, contact with some of the many Samson groups out there. You know, an awful lot of guys to took up our invitation to start Samson groups. 450 groups started since the publication of Samson and the Pirate Monks. Wow. Uh, we're now in the process of finally picking up the phone and finding out how those groups are doing, how many of them have survived, how many are thriving, the ones that are really thriving, what are they doing right? Uh, and uh, we're in, in learning. Case, in, case uh, the audience, in case the audience wants to know, like, was Nate the kind of guy that wrote a book started a society and then checked a website every day to be like, how many new groups are there? I don't know. How many years has it been? And this is the first time you've checked into this. No. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So because I didn't want to be perceived as a, uh, I'm Aaron, I'm getting a note that my internet connection is unstable. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, you keep glitching in and out, but at least uh, you yeah. know our, our listeners realize that we're both aware of it, and it's not their fault. Jesus okay, still that's good. That's Jesus good. still loves you, just not Nate. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, one of the things that we do know from recovery is that uh, the way we keep this freedom that God gives us is by giving it away. Uh, it's in serving others that we continue to learn ourselves, we grow ourselves. That's why we say in Samson, uh, uh, every man needs help and every man has some help to give every day. So we all need a Silas. We can all be a Silas. Uh, and uh, what's on the horizon for Samson are new opportunities for us to serve other guys. And uh, I'll be fleshing that out, I think, in subsequent episodes uh, of the podcast as kind of the vision becomes clearer. Can I, can I mention the, uh, the use of technology coming up in the future? Yes. Okay. Yes. So, up until now, the only way you've been able to attend a Samson meeting is to show up at a physical meeting someplace. Now, for you guys who are just too far away from a meeting to ever attend one, there will soon be another option. And uh, you'll be able to connect using much the same technology that Aaron and I are using right now to See, stare lovingly into each other's faces. Yeah. I, I wanted to say that, except the technology's kind of sucking it right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, on your end. Uh, so it's, it's not the program's fault. It's his internet connection. But yeah, there's going to be, we can have meetings with as yeah. many guys as, as yeah. want to be in yeah. it. And then it still break out into yeah. uh, smaller groups and rooms. So it's going to be amazing. And we, we want that to happen yeah. every day of the week so that you we connect do. with other guys. You can. The beauty is we're going to talk uh, in this interview today about finding a team, putting, putting men together in your life. And this is an amazing way to meet people that aren't necessarily from your own town, but you can still Skype with them, FaceTime with them. You can sit and have coffee together across the country. Yeah. And so there's so many new ways that this can really uh, put some practical wheels on some of the desires you might be having. Yeah, it's exciting. It's, it's an exciting time to be alive. All right, before you get any worse over there, let's get to the interview because that part's already recorded. <laughs> oh, I can hardly wait to find out how it goes. <laughs> so we'll be right back with uh, Chad Robichaux of Mighty Oaks Warrior Program. I got that wrong earlier, but later to you. It's like a time warp thing going on here. <laughs> so we'll be right back with Chad in just a minute. 
Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. I'm super excited. I think this is uh, the third time we have tried to have our guest on, uh, and uh, we just always end up having to cancel. So I'm excited to have Chad. Uh, I think this is a great time because his new book just came out last week, and we want people to know about that. So my friend Chad Robichaud, originally of Louisiana, now living here in California, a, uh, a veteran, a Marine, a Special Forces guy, a mixed martial artist, but probably more important than that, a man who found that the greatest fights of his life would revolve around his home and his faith. So welcome, Chad Robichaud, to the Pirate Monk Podcast. All right. Thanks for having me on. It's good to finally be on. <laughs> now, where are you living these days? Well, we live in Southern California in an area called Temecula. Uh, so it's it's uh, kind of Europe in the wine country of Central Coast. We're in the wine country of uh, Southern California and the uh, same beautiful rolling California hills. Nice. Well, for anyone that gets your book, they're going to get a lot of stories, but give give a thumbnail of your story. I know it's totally unfair, but... I want people to at least sort of know who they're talking to or listening to this morning. Yeah. Um, you know, just kind of in a snapshot of, of, of my story is, you know, I come from a family of Marines. My, my son's a Marine. I'm a Marine. My father is a Marine. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, my father uh, went to Vietnam, came home, struggled like many Vietnam veterans. So grew up in a real in a dysfunctional home. And, uh, you know, we had, had a, the death of, my brother, when I was 14, he was 15 years old. Uh, it was a pretty tragic thing in my family. Uh, when I joined the Marine Corps at 17, really a brand new chance at life for me and uh, starting a clean slate. So the Marine Corps was everything I'd ever wanted and, and uh, totally embraced it. Became a reconnaissance Marine my first year in, uh, which is you know, the Marine Corps Special Operations Arm. And it was be, uh, over 10 years later before I actually would ever go to combat, though. It, it was, I went in in 1993. So uh, between 93 and, and, uh, and, and 2003, a lot of things happened. When I started my family, uh, married Kathy. We've been married for 22 years now. We have three you know, teenage, teenage uh, children. I say teenage, 20, 19, and 17. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so that was the beginning of our family. I spent four years where I went off of active duty as a, and became a Marine Corps Reservist at Third Force Recon. Was a, I went to college, was going to come back in as an officer. And uh, during that time, I was a policeman in New Orleans, and uh, and then 9/11 happened, and uh, you know, radically changed. I think everyone in America's life changed the world. Uh, as a being in reserves at that time when 9/11 happened, uh, being a force recon marine, I knew that uh, you know my life was going to be different, and wanted it to. You know, sought every opportunity to deploy. Went back on active duty, uh, deployed uh, through a JSOC task force that I tried out for and was accepted onto. And uh, did a kind of a rapid rotation of deployments, kind of short, shorter deployments, but I did eight of them over four years. And, uh, you know, it, it started off, uh, my deployment started off just doing my job, you know, uh, in a very kind of intense level. But really, the aspect of spiritual resiliency and spiritual faith was uh, something that was really abstract, I believe, to, to me being able to do my job as a warrior. I kind of believe that you couldn't. You know, I would have said I was a Christian, but to to be this like man of Christianity and morality and all these things in a combat zone, I felt like you had to choose between being a warrior and being a this man of God. And so I chose the you know the warrior. That's kind of for me it was an obvious choice, and I could do that kind of Christian thing later on in my life. And, and I believe that absence and void of uh of having a spiritual strength, understanding what true resiliency is, truly you know Marine Corps says it mind, body, spirit. Uh, not having that spiritual strength, I believe it left a gaping hole inside of me and, and many of our warriors, uh, many men in this outside of combat that feel like you have to trade your masculinity for your Christianity and believe that lie. Uh, mm. Miss the point that there's no greater man, no tougher man, no more courageous and bold man than a man of God, right? To stand up and fight mm. for the things in this world that we should fight for. And I didn't know that. So with, without that in my life, I feel, I feel like I left that, that again, gaping hole that was filled with like, anger and rage and bitterness and and uh just being in a, in a place like afghanistan learning about the taliban living with the local nationals like i did in my job and uh with the taliban and these people and i began to just have this hate inside of me and uh and that's how i like 
worked every day. And when that, that hatred and that intensity started coming home with me, and then uh, my house became a you know, kind of really unhappy place to be. There was a lot of stress in my family, a lot of uh, fear about my behaviors from my wife and children. Eventually, the anger turned into anxiety. I had some very strong physiological symptoms of uh, panic attacks, numbness in my arm, my extremities, and my face, and my throat, and feel like my chest was uh, closing in on me, and uh, just real imminent sense of doom. I didn't say anything at first, and so that that uh, kind of isolation from trying to get help, pushing it down, uh, led me to a point to where it was a catastrophic kind of failure. Uh, physiologically, I uh, I just crashed. And I was brought home, diagnosed with PTSD, uh, very shamed uh, at that time. Uh, felt like I failed at my job. Uh, so, so I didn't want to talk much about military, didn't want to get help. I just uh, went into kind of a uh, deep depression. And I was also scared because I didn't know what was going to happen to me. I felt like I was going to die. I mean, the, the physiological symptoms were so strong. And, uh, and that led me to... Uh, kind of immersing myself into something I did my whole life, which was the MMA and jiu-jitsu. I'd already been a professional fighter. And what I found immediately in that, in that was a, kind of a gratification, a kind of a redemption of that shame. I was able to kind of mask myself in the masculinity of that, found a lot of success. I became 18-2 and two as a professional fighter, won a world championship. But uh, all those things, as much as I love jiu-jitsu and, and uh, MMA, you know, those things didn't change my situation. And in fact, in some ways, it made it worse because it really enabled me and allowed me to to not actually get help, to hide from getting help. And so my home was still falling apart. I was still having panic attacks. Just no one knew about it. Uh, I hit it really well. And, uh, and uh, my marriage was totally dead. My relationships with my kids were nothing more than me and my boys being training partners. But as far as being a father, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't uh, doing, doing my role, being my, in my role as a father or a husband. So I stepped outside of a marriage and, uh, and betrayed my family into an affair. We uh, sold our home, faced divorce, and uh, it was during that time when me and my wife were separate that uh, you know I, I uh, realized the damage I had done, and I, I made a decision to take my to take my life. Uh, you know, and you had twenty other veterans a day, you know, make that same mm -hmm. decision. I, uh, I I wanted my I knew my children would probably find me because they were the only ones who could see me at the time, and so I thought that uh, the solution would be to make it look like an accident. And uh, so trying to build up the courage to do this and trying to contemplate how I was going to do it, it was when my wife came to my apartment and, uh, you know, asked me a question that ultimately led me here, changed my life. And she just asked me the simple kind of challenge of how I could do the things I did in the military. Become a, she seen me become a recon marine. She seen me train for these deployments. She seen me train for all these MMA fights and cutting weight and training hard. And she just asked me how I could do all those things. And when it came to our family, that I quit. And uh, so that, that question was the uh, kind of fork in the road for my life uh, to make a decision that, uh, to accept the, the fact that, yeah, I was a quitter. And uh, no more soul-cutting word for me than to be called a quitter. Yeah. And, and to be wrong, I hate being wrong. But, uh, you know, it's both of those things. I quit on the most important things in my life, my role as a husband, my role as a father, to be uh, you know, that young 17-year-old kid that had a second chance at life and that Marine Corps gave me. And, quit on my own health. And so I made a decision that I was going to turn it around. And, uh, but I didn't know how, uh, the one thing I didn't know was that I couldn't do it alone. Uh, and I know we're going to talk later about brotherhood, but I knew I couldn't do it alone. I knew I had to get some help. My wife had been going to this church and praying for me this whole time we were separated. She said, she was so angry. She didn't know how to pray for me. So she said, she would just say, no, God, let me, let me see Chad the way you see Chad. Let me, let me love Chad the way you love Chad. Let me forgive him the way you forgave him. That's what she would pray for me when, I'd given up, you know, and, nice. and uh, so I just asked her, is there someone in this church that can help me with this decision? And she introduced me to a man named Steve Toth, and Steve never served in the military. He was the elder of the church. He was only going to introduce me to another guy who was a, a Navy SEAL, retired, and a chaplain, and uh, now a chaplain. And, and, but when I met Steve, he was just the right guy for the job because he, uh, he didn't have patience to deal with me. You know, he <laughs> sat down at Starbucks. I had a, I always say his greatest gift is ADD. Like he's, he has no patience at all. Like the guy's like, literally, if we go eat at a restaurant, like we leave and say goodbye, he won't walk to his car. He runs across the parking lot to his car. And, uh, you know, so I'm sitting there with him and I show him my plan that I wrote on paper of how I was going to fix my life. And he didn't even read it. He slid it back over to me and told me I was going to fail. 
<laughs> you don't even know me. Like I put a lot of work into this. It's going to ruin it. And, uh, and, you know, but he was absolutely right. He, he said, uh, you know, if it doesn't have anything to do with God, you end up right back on your face. And uh, I'm not going to waste your time and I'm not going to let you waste mine. And uh, we have a saying we do in our ministry at Mighty Oaks. If what you're doing isn't working, then why not try something different? You know, I had tried the counseling. I tried all the pills. I tried the MMA and jiu-jitsu. And none of those things worked. It changed my situation. So it's time for me to try something different. So that's that's an interesting thing with Steve. Did you have misgivings because you knew he wasn't initiated the way you had been initiated? He wasn't a military guy. What would he have to offer? Or were you just so desperate? Yeah, you know, when, when I was, uh, particularly when I was deploying, I was uh, not only, and I, it was just my mentality at the time. The only people I hung out with were people from our task force. So it was other like special operations guys. And I think I just like at the time, my life was so regimented, deploying, coming home, recovering, training for the next deployment, going again. I, I didn't uh, really allow anybody else into my life. So I became right. reg- regimented towards hanging around guys I worked with. And then when I went into, when I transitioned from that in MMA, it was either former guys of that type, like kind of military uh, you know, kind of alpha military guys, uh, particularly like special operations guys that I knew for, for years that I trusted or other guys from MMA and jiu-jitsu. So I really was, I've always, I'd always been kind of regimented on who I would allow into my life. And uh, so Steve was the first person, I think, outside of that in my adult life that it really allowed access right. to my life. And that, so was, think- that, was, uh, that was going outside of my comfort zone because it wasn't, it, it, it never was the issue of like, like, you know, because I'm, come from this background i'm like better than these guys and it was never about that for me it was it was a uh, trust like i, I right. just don't i don't trust people i'm a very i'm a skeptic my nature uh you know i feel like i always felt like very cynical towards the world and, and so i just didn't trust people so if i didn't know you came from that background and i kind of earned a status towards you know some type of a status in life because of the hardships or you know something we've overcome then i really didn't trust that person that was yeah. just kind of was my mentality at the time so steve was a you know, me trusting Steve was a big step for me. And, uh, but I thank God I did because what he offered me, um, essentially was like not only to introduce me to encounter with Christ, but he mentored me for a whole year of biblical manhood. And when I look back at that in my life and the things that I, you know, I'm proud that I achieved in my life, but really it's also a little, a little bit disappointing as I look at my life because I look at achievements and all those achievements that I did in my life, they're really a, a kind of a list of things that I was discontented with. You know, I achieved one thing and then it wasn't enough. So I had to do something else. Right. It wasn't, it was just kind of this, this path to try to put my finger on something that I felt was missing. And I never could find it. And what Steve introduced me to was what I had been looking for my whole life. And that was being the man that God created me to be. So let's, let's start with that. We were going to start with, uh, with another question, but let's talk about manhood and what you learned about, you know, you had been a part of what most people would say is some of the most manly stuff around. You're in the military, you're doing all these big things. You carried a gun. There you go. It's already manly. But because <laughs> yeah, it takes a real man to have the pink water bottle. So what what did he teach you that you were surprised like, oh, man, I, I missed this. I, I didn't get this when I thought that just blowing something up was the most manly thing I could do. Honestly, I, I, I believed that Christian men were weak. Uh, that's what I saw modeled uh, in the churches I went to and places I went. I saw, you know, guys being drugged in the church on Sunday by their wives and saying, yes, ma'am, and, and uh, following a set of rules and, and submitting. And, and that just wasn't me or something I aspired to conform to. I just didn't see that masculinity. And, and, and I believe that's a lie that men, not just military men, but men in general, believe of the enemy to demasculate us from our, our proper role that God created us to be as, as warriors and leaders. And, and uh, so when, when uh, Steve kind of unwrapped and peeled back the veil and said, hey, men, Christian men, aren't weak? In fact, there's no, no one bolder, no one more courageous, no one more equipped to fight the, with this world's battles than men of God. And I realized that. And then that not only like realized that for myself, but started reading and, and going through lessons and stories of biblical characters, real life biblical characters that have a, you know, persevered the most, uh, you know, incredible lives, uh, selfless lives, you know, warriors' lives. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, why? I, for me, it was like, I was like, kind of upset that no one had shared this with me. And I'm like, 
at this age of my life, no one's ever shared this with me. My whole life I've been chasing this. And, uh, and when I discovered it, it, it not only brung like a restoration of my own life and family, uh, but it, this PTSD thing, it was like I was dying like of cancer and, and this guy gave me the cure to it. Like I wanted to share with every other man I knew because this was the solution. I, this was the solution to the problems I had faced. And uh, not only did I find like the restoration, but I also felt like I found that what I craved most in my life and that was the purpose. Uh, purpose in my life. And I think that's what most men that I work with now feel like they struggle with the most is purpose. What am I here for? I always quote Mark Twain, right? The two most important days in a man's life is the day he's born and the day he finds out why. Like when mm-hmm. I discovered like what Steve was sharing with me about, you know, being a man of God, I felt like that's when I really discovered why I was here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, ever since then, I've been trying to share that with every other person that listened to me. What do you say, uh, because we've got an idea of manliness that's attached to a machismo kind of concept, which there can be very manly things that are just macho, but that can also mask like you did a lot of manly things while avoiding the responsibilities of being a good husband and father, which is wrapped up. You, you weren't being a complete man at that point, but you were chasing the idol. But then I also know, uh, and this, this isn't a, a knock on... Uh, what's his name? Wild at Heart Man. Yeah, John Eldridge. Yeah, Eldridge. Uh, I know a lot of of folks that you know have been really impacted by him speaking into it's okay to be a man in these ways. But I've also known guys that are more creative that have no desire to watch sports or go hunt an animal and skin a deer and eat the flesh of their kill. Uh, and and when they read that book, they were actually they felt like, oh, well, damn, I guess I don't get to be a man. So they they were missing the other part of like, okay, it's not just the macho thing. So what would you say to a person like that that says, I'm never going to be a recon marine <laughs> or a fighter? So am I just out? Man, you know, that's really, that's really a, a awesome you asked that question because I spoke at a men's event last night and the guy waited to the very end of you. I mean, I must have been there two and a half hours after the men's event. Guys coming up to talk to me, and and uh, a few guys that stayed in the end of prayer. And there's always that one guy that waits last for everyone to leave, mm-hmm. and that was that guy. He said, uh, I, "I feel like you know I was created for something more. I want to be a warrior. I've always aspired to be, but I've never joined the military, and I don't plan on ever doing it. So where where does it leave me?" Yeah, that was kind of his question. And am I a warrior? Am I am I a man? And that was the exact question he had. And, I, and, um, and so I was able to talk through it with him and we even prayed together about the God revealing, uh, you know, what battles he used to fight. Because being a warrior doesn't mean every warrior fights the same battle. We don't all pick up a battle axe and run in the front line. But God has a different fight for each of us. And we are all created, you know, for a unique battle that, and, you know, John Eldridge kind of talks about, you know, a role in that. But what that battle looks like may not be what you think it looks like. You know, it, it, it could be, you know, uh, it could be for it being that leader in your church or your community or, or, you know, something that may not, not look so bravado to the world. And, and that's okay. You know, that's, that's, that's just fine. I mean, this world needs warriors of all types. If we're all the same type of warrior in, in, a, in, a, in the military, you know, I always hear guys, uh, you know, I, I come from a special operations community, but it amazes me sometimes when you hear guys, everyone was, everyone in Vietnam was a sniper or a Navy SEAL. Like, we're, we're running the supply chains. Like, <laughs> got, how did anybody get anything done? You know, we all have different types of roles in battle uh, as warriors and not everybody's on the, you know, on the other side of, uh, you know, M4 putting rounds down, down range. So, I mean, uh, and that same is in life, you know, just because, just because you don't, just because you're not in the military, just because you're not out, you know, John, like John Eldridge hunting elk and, and uh, that doesn't make you less of a man. That doesn't make you not a warrior. There's important fights in this world uh, that need to be fought, you know, again, within our homes, within our communities, within our churches, within this country. And it, it requires men of courage and boldness to stand up. And they don't have to have, you know, they don't have to have 30-inch biceps to do it. You know? uh, yeah, that's good. Have, they just have to have the heart <laughs> to, be a, to, to be a warrior who has the courage to stand up things in this world that only men of God are going to stand up to. Mm. Yeah. It, it makes me think of your uh, relationship with Steve, how on paper he wouldn't have been the one that you would have picked to have helped you. 
but he was the right man for the job, but he would have been the absolute wrong man for somebody else to have pushed back the paper and said, I don't even want to look at your plan for how you're going to fix this, would have crushed someone else. It was exactly right for you. But possibly a guy who was less intense and knew how to hug another man and be soft with him would be the exact right guy for someone else. So even if uh, someone doesn't have the, the exterior facade of toughness and sergeant, he can still be the exact right person another man needs at a certain season in his life. That's right. You know, uh, me and Steve, me and Steve, you know, we're, we're still very close. And we, uh, we talked about this just recently and, you know, uh, like God knew exactly who he was putting across that coffee table for me. But, but at that time in my life, uh, and probably most of my life, I'm ex- extremely manipulative. So I could have said all the right things, tell him everything he wanted to hear. And if he would have played it along, I probably would have never been challenged and never changed because I was prepared to do that. I was prepared to say everything I wrote in that paper was everything anybody would have wanted to hear. But it wasn't the things that, that actually were at the core level going to make me make tough changes. And he wasn't, he wasn't willing to hear it. He wasn't even interested in hearing it. And, uh, you know, he had, uh, what, I didn't, what I didn't know at that time was that Steve had mentored a guy six months before me who was struggling with suicide and Steve was weak with him. Steve didn't challenge him and the guy took his life. And so I'm the next guy down the pipe after wow. this guy killed himself that Steve's mentoring. I don't even know this, this, uh, backstory. And Steve's like, Hey, I'm not going to play around with this. I have to be bold. I have to stand up. This is going to be hard. He, he was, he even said he was a little bit intimidated, uh, by me cause, uh, and, but he's just knew that, that God had put him there for that very moment for that battle to be the warrior for that battle and, uh, and uh, to stand up courageously against me and, and shut me down and uh, tell me the things I needed to hear. No one in my life at the time was telling me what I needed to hear. People were just telling me everything that I wanted to hear. And, uh, and Nate, he- does this, Nate, does this remind you of your first sponsor? I don't know. As Chad's talking, it sounds like all your stories. Is that the same guy? Is he just everywhere? Yeah, and I think that's part of kind of an experienced mentor or sponsor. I find that the, the longer I'm around and trying to help guys with the struggle that mirrors mine, the crankier and more impatient and pushier I become. And I, I do remember when I was struggling with sobriety early on and spinning uh, sponsors like they were tops and pretending to have a sponsor, but being my own sponsor, somebody finally told me, if you want to get, if you really want to get sober, Nate, you're going to have to find a son of a bitch to be a sponsor. And I finally found a son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, on that note, transitioning. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. And, and by the way, this is all descriptive, uh, friend, friendly listeners. This is not prescriptive. If you <laughs> found that you're a kind person, you may remain a kind person tomorrow. <laughs> Nate Larkin told me I had to be a son of a bitch, so here I go. <laughs> no, uh, no, but it's, it is the courage to tell the truth, and you can tell it yeah. softly sometimes, but sometimes you're just going to have to figuratively put a guy up against the wall for his own sake. Yeah. And, and if you're lucky, sometimes you have to do it literally. So let's, uh, let's shift, <laughs> let's shift gears for a second and talk about brotherhood. Obviously that's hugely important to us here on the pirate monk podcast. And you have experienced a, a lot of different lessons, um, from military and especially small groups that you would work with there, training in the martial arts. Um, so I want to talk about the out-of-church lessons you had, both good and bad, that we can draw from in the church that maybe we don't hear from a pulpit. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I could talk about brotherhood and military all day long because, uh, you know, when you're working in small you know, special operations team is teams, like particularly when you're working remotely with little little support, you know, the guy to your left or right is, you know, it's not just a mission success, it's life or death, you know, so it's extremely important. You have the right guys there, guys you trust, guys you know, you, you know, you know, when you walk in that room, you don't have to look over your shoulder to know they're going to be there. You already know they're going to be there. You know okay. So pause, pause right there on it. Already, I, I feel like uh, this is going to be hard because you have community built on the reality of the desperate importance 
of trusting the people around you. Whereas in the church, eh, you know what? I hope to have a few good friends, but if not, uh, I'm just going to go home and uh, have a beer and watch a football game anyway, so I'll move on. So, man, that's how do you even get to that mentality when you're not in that situation? Well, I mean, uh, so take it off the, the battlefield, right? You go into an MMA fight. I'm preparing for an MMA fight. I don't want my friends in my corner. I don't want the guys who are going to just clap really loud when I'm in, in my corner. I want the guys who are going to give me the right advice. Like I am in the middle of round, round two, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm dropping my left hand and getting tacked in the face. I need somebody to tell me, hey, dummy, put, pick your left hand up. I need a guy who can spot that and, and have the knowledge to tell me to do that. The guy, the guy to tell you know, to coach me through the hard times. And so how do you get those guys, the right guys in your corner? You don't just show up on fight day and they just show up there accidentally. You're intentional about it. Right, I'm preparing. I'm coming to a strategy to win this fight. So I'm not picking my friends. I'm picking the right guys, the right striking guy, the right wrestling guy, the right uh, guy that has the voice to motivate me in those fights. I'm picking those guys and being intentional about it. We're training together. So when the day of the fight comes, we're in one, you know, and that's why I love MMA because it's not an individual sport. It's a team sport. Mm -hmm. Just as a fighter, you get to go out and represent that team. But, but it's a team effort to go out and win that fight you prepared for. And life outside the church, in the church, it doesn't matter. It's the same thing. If you're going to face the battles of this world and the fights of this world, then you're going to. You better be intentional and prepared for those battles. And being, in, being intentional being prepared means having the right guys in your corner when you get in those fights. And don't wait till you're in a fight to figure that out. And for everyone just to miraculously show up, you're intentional about it. Right now in my life, ever since Steve stepped in my life, I realized the importance of having corner man, brotherhood, accountability. And mm -hmm. so, man – I will never, I don't trust myself. I'm, I'm a degenerate uh, by nature. And so I, I, will, I will not uh, ever allow myself to go through life without the right accountability. I'm surround myself with accountability, like uh, in, in checks and balances to make sure I don't ever sabotage my own life again. And, uh, and I don't wait till I'm in a bad situation to figure it out. I plan ahead. Like if I have a trip that I'm going on a speaking trip and I'm going off to, to speak, uh, and the church only wants to pay for the church. I'm going to speak at it can only afford to pay for one ticket. I don't travel by myself. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I don't wait till I'm alone in a hotel room and let my mind wander and get myself in a bad situation. And, and I know a lot of pastors might be like, Oh, why? I can't believe you said that. Well, they're the same ones that's going to end up in a, in a, in some kind of trouble later on because they didn't put those balances in their life and their accountability in life. Right. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, I've just put a lot of precautions in my life. I think about the things in advance. I plan for those, those battles ahead. And I put the right guys in the corner. And if you're if you're a man and you think, well, I don't have any friends like that, I don't have anyone you trust like that, man, that should be like the first and most important priority in your life is surrounding yourself with those guys. And they're out there. You just have to be intentional about finding them. You know, I go to these men's events and speak at these men's events all the time. And that's like one of the biggest messages to pound home. Like, where do you find men like that? In the church, right there in, in those men's groups in those church. Find guys like that and, and seek out that kind of brotherhood and accountability to guys that you can tell anything to. No matter how embarrassing it is, no matter how shameful it is, because if you you can't have people you can talk to about the struggles that's in your heart, then you're going to end up acting on those struggles. And you, you should have someone in your life that you can trust and be accountable and transparent with. And uh, it's very important for me uh, in the battles that I know that I'm going to face in my life. And uh, you know, I, I can, again, I don't think I'll ever uh, go through life without that, that that kind of brotherhood around me. So one one thing that's probably important, and I love fighting metaphors. I think fighting metaphors just work for everything. So we, <laughs> we can just stick with that. <laughs> uh, but you're talking about, okay, I need a team. I need a corner man. I need my grappling guy. I need each of those people know they're that guy. It's not like your jujitsu training coach or partner shows up and they're confused because they thought they were supposed to be working on like tie kicks today. They know I'm the grappling guy and he's leaning on me and I'm watching and helping. When it comes to relationships in our lives in the body of Christ, we are not nearly as aware or specific about what we're asking for or what our role is in someone else's life. And when you were saying that, I remember uh, a pastor friend of mine I was young in marriage. I was probably like 25 going through some really hard stuff. And I sat down with him and told him the whole thing. Like, here's all my secrets. And in my head, I felt like, all right, I'm, I'm making you my partner. And now you're going to call and ask me how it's going and check in on me, all that kind of stuff. And he never brought it up again. 
and I was so disappointed in him. I'm like, you failed me. I gave this thing to you, you failed me. Years later, I realized, how stupid. I never asked for any of those things. I just dumped a bunch of secrets on him and then said, so we're all clear about what your role is and my role. And the reality was I can now see after that conversation, he was totally available for me to go follow up with that. And if I had asked him specifically, hey, I kind of need you to just check in on me every once in a while, and maybe I'll want to pull away, so I'm going to tell you how I'm going to try to sabotage it. But just a lack of clarity, I think, makes it not effective like it is in the martial arts example. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, I think having, having, uh, very meaningful relationships is the start of that. Like not just, it's, you know, like I'll use Jeremy Stolnerker, for example, like we, we have, I mean, he's not just accountability. We have a relationship with him, a very close relationship with him uh, on a continued base, a continued basis. And I think it's important to have a, you know, you don't just meet with somebody during those hard times and during those struggles, you know, you're intentional about blocking time out of your schedule just to meet. And, and men have a hard time with this, right? We have to meet around social gatherings. Like, Hey, let's get together for a football game or let's get together for a, uh, you know, for, you know, to do an event instead of just getting together and spending time together to build a relationship with one another. Girls do that, but guys don't typically do that. And uh, I think it's important, you know, I have, uh, I have a few guys in my life that I have you know, relationships with. And uh, when it comes to those times, it's easier to, to, to talk about those things. And it's also because of that relationship, we check on one another, you know, uh, you know, talking about this, I have a, my first platoon sergeant uh, and uh, my first recon platoon sergeant, his name was Frank Bricky. And he, um, he told me uh, this kind of methodology of, uh, of, of training and, and preparation. We called it plus minus equals. I took it from the Marine Corps into MMA and now into life. And plus minus equals means you always have someone, you always train with someone who is better than you, the plus, they're going to push you to, to achieve, you know, uh, greater heights. They're going to challenge you. They're going to hold you accountable. You train with someone equal to you because that peer-to-peer kind of push, just like you're walking and you walk faster, I walk faster. Next thing you know, we're running. That, that, that kind of grows you as well. And then you have someone uh, minus, like less than you, that you could uh, hone your skills on because you're a little bit better than them, but you're also mentoring them as well. And that's really served me in MMA, like to be able to train with somebody I could beat and work on my technique, someone that beats me, pushes me better, someone equal to me so I get these rewards with. And then now in, in, in life, I try to use the same methodology to where I always have a, people on my peer level, but I always have someone I'm mentoring and someone mentoring me. And, uh, and I try to do that in, in every area of my life. I do that as in, in my, my uh, pursuit of being a man that God created me to be, that, that manhood pursuit. And I do that in my marriage too. So we have, a, we have always have, me and my wife always have a couple that we're mentoring. And we always have a, a couple older than us that are, that are mentoring us we can lean on. And, uh, and, and that plus minus equal rule, I think is, is very important. But again, like you said, those people don't just pop up. They're not just going to participate just because you kind of pie in the sky. Uh, thought about that. You, you have to be intentional about that and let people know that, let people know that you're actually doing that with them, right? You can't just expect them to. So tell me about how you transitioned or Nate, did you want to follow up on any of that before I ask my warrior oak question? No, no, no. I just want to say this is fantastic. I mean, I love to see how these principles that we know gut level are true. I had no idea that MMA was a team sport. I had no clue. Uh, But to see that the same principles that work in my very non-MMA life function in Chad's life is amazing. This is great. I I remember something, uh, man, it it just broke my heart at the time and has haunted me ever since my the guy that trained me in Los Angeles in the early 90s really had a heart to share Christ with the folks we were working with and at the time they were just some of the best in the world at the beginning of the UFC and they were so reticent to hear about becoming a Christian one because they thought Christians were weak but two, because, and what was the exact words he said? He said, they have more brotherhood and vulnerability in training than the church can ever offer the way it is. So I have trouble communicating what is there for them to come into. 
And I, I was like 18, 19 at the time. And I was like, oh, this is horrible. And yet I get it because when you're training, it is such a team thing and you're so vulnerable. You know, if, if you say, hey, we're we're just hitting at like 60% working on techniques and someone loses their head because they're out of control, then you're in danger. And add sticks or knives to that mix. And there's so much trust uh, that isn't natural in the church. We're not forced into it because no one's trying to punch us in the face. Maybe that's what we need in the church. <laughs> just a, a deacon who walks down the aisles and occasionally comes up and just, you know, grabs you in a rear naked choke or punches you in the face and you just got to be ready. We, <laughs> we trust and love each other more. So tell us about the Warrior Oaks program, because you learned all of this and had a heart to serve other veterans with it. Oh. Mighty Oaks, right? Yeah. Mighty yeah. Oaks. Mighty Sorry. Oaks Warrior Programs. Yeah, it's, uh, well, I mean, it's, it's really, you know, we didn't, when I started Mighty Oaks and Kathy and my wife and I started it, we didn't um, say, hey, it'd be a great idea to start a veteran nonprofit. That, that wasn't it at all. We just, uh, we, we want to take the uh, challenge that Kathy gave me, the mentorship Steve gave me, and the, the second chance that God gives us all and just, just pay that forward, even to one other person. And, uh, that's all it was ever meant to be. It was just a really, just a deep, not desire, but almost like an obligation, like inside of me. Like I felt like I discovered this, like I said earlier, right. That Steve gave me, I was dying of cancer and Steve gave me the cure. Like I had to share it. I didn't want to share it. I had to. And, uh, you know, especially with when I discovered that I wasn't the only one, a lot of times when we struggle, we think we're the only one. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I thought, you know, no one can be struggling like me. No one can be wanting to take their life like me. No one can be facing divorce. And obviously a lot of other people are 22 suicides a day from the veterans. The divorce rate right here at Camp Helen where I am is 85%. So 85% of returning veterans end up getting divorced. Yeah. It's, it's, every base is different. You know, Camp Helen is where we are right now. It's, that's the rate there. So, I mean, a lot of other people were struggling and I felt like I had this answer, this solution, and I want to share it. And uh, so we, me and Kathy made a decision, a very bold decision. People thought we were insane, but we walked away from kind of everything in our life to start this. We didn't have any idea what we were doing and uh, never thought we'd end up where we are right now. But uh, God has uh, provided uh, the most amazing team to come around us. We have, uh, we run about 30 programs a year, six day programs. Mm. And uh, we get active duty military and orders plus veterans. We've uh, spoken hundreds of thousands on bases and spiritual resiliency. And then we had, uh, we have had 1400, this Friday will be 1,446 graduates from our legacy program, which is our core program wow. in, in zero wow. suicides from that. Uh, zero suicides. Wow. And you're dealing with people that that's, they're talking about that. Can you give us, I'm watching, I'm watching the clock right now. Cause I know you got your, uh, your next deal to get to, but for we who aren't in your world what are we what are we supposed to understand about ptsd we hear about it but i don't what is it exactly well i mean we uh i think i think ptsd has kind of become almost a buzzword uh with, with veterans who go to combat and, and the truth is uh you know combat or iraq afghanistan vietnam or just life right we all face hardships in this world and uh and uh understanding you know how to respond to trauma and understanding the way God created us, I think is a really important aspect of PTSD. Uh, I hate the word disorder, right? Post-traumatic stress disorder, because it, it, it truly is a conflict of, uh, of terms. The, the clinical definition is the body's normal response to an abnormal situation. As someone that was, I believes I was created and my body's responding normally to an abnormal situation. Well, I'm not disordered at all. My body's doing exactly what it was created to do in order to survive. Mm. And uh, so I don't need 30 pills a day to numb myself to get past that. I just need to understand how God created me that yes, I did experience trauma that yes, when I see things that are going to relate me to that trauma, I may feel anxiety and some of these physiological emotions, but the body is in a process of healing it, of healing itself. And, and, uh, and I think through understanding trauma, understanding how God created us, you know, not saying that medicines are uh, you know, totally uh, irrelevant. And, and I believe there are, is a need for some medicines, but I believe there's a, uh, there's much more to it than a clinical, uh, clinical methods being the only solution. And so when we deal with PTSD at, at uh, Mighty Oaks, we get that alternative solution. We say, hey, uh, you know, yeah, you've been through some hard things. But the reason you're in a situation you're in isn't because some traumatic event or even some heroic event that happened to you in Iraq, Afghanistan, or childhood. The reason you're in a situation you're in uh, and this 
kind of rock bottom place in your life is because the choices you've made in response to that. And you never lost control of that. And you have the ability to choose differently moving forward. And that's where the faith-based model comes in. We give them a kind of a blueprint of choices based on biblical manhood or for the ladies program, the, being the women they were created to be. And, uh, and then provide a network of accountability into that. And when we see people really uh, come to that position to accept responsibility and not let their past define their future and say, hey, I, I could take this fork in the road and go towards a, take a path towards hope and purpose and, uh, and actually the very purpose that God created me to live, then we see uh, guys get their lives back under control and actually rise up beyond the circumstances of being a, a victim or someone di diagnosed with a disorder and being the people and the warriors that you know, God created them to be. And it's, it's really been amazing to watch it unfold at Mighty Oaks and, and uh, see these guys, you know, not just not kill themselves, but actually step up and be, you know, be, be the warriors and leaders that we know they are. Hmm. So that's what, that's what Mighty Oaks has been about. It's, a, it's, a, it's definitely a discipleship program. All of our leaders are guys who've been through the program and they're paying it forward just like, a, just like I did. And uh, that's been one of the reasons it's grown so quickly. And, uh, you know, we're, we're become a top resource for, for the military. I, I speak at Marine Corps boot camp every quarter. We've written several books and resources that we give out. We've given out a path to resiliency, spiritual resiliency book. We give out at Marine Corps boot camp. We've given out 25,000 of them now. And, uh, it's, it's been amazing. All right. So how do people get these resources? If they want to check you out before we let you go, how do they get your books? How do they check out the, uh, Mighty Oaks Warrior Program? Well, our website's mightyoaksprograms.org. Uh, on the website, you can learn about our programs, which are all free, by the way, to active duty veterans and veterans who are out of the military, free to spouses. We even cover travel. Uh, and so we haven't charged one veteran of those 1,400 to ever come to our programs. Uh, all our books are on the website. So we have several books. I have a marriage advance uh, book, which is my wife and I's marriage testimony. We have spiritual resiliency books. We have a PTSD book coming out uh, in two months. And then uh, we have a, a leadership book coming out next month by Jeremy Stolnecker. And then my newest one is An Unfair Advantage, uh, which you guys just read. Yep. And, uh, I, yeah, so uh, all those resources are on our website. Uh, again, programs are free. If anyone wants to support the programs, right, they're not free. <laughs> they're free to the veteran, yeah. but they're not free. So we love uh, people that want to help contribute and support to make it possible. Uh, so, you know, that you could support and donate there as well. How much does it cost to put one veteran through? You know, it, as an organization, it costs us about $2,500. However, we have a scholarship fund, so $1,000 scholarships a guy uh, off of our list of the program. All right. So that's what if, if people think, all right, I didn't, I didn't go and uh, serve in those ways, but I want to serve a man or a family uh, who did, there you go. Yep. It's all right. Save their life and change, change the world. Chad, you were right up against your deadline, so get out of here. Thanks for hanging out with us. It was good to see your face. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. That's God bless you, man. Thank God you. Guys, bye-bye. Well, we're back on the Pirate Monk podcast. Uh, man, what an inspiring conversation, even for a geek like me. Uh, I, I loved the book, by the way, uh, although I've never been to combat and pray to God. I, I, I'm grateful that I never had to go. I, I've always loved war stories and admired warriors. There are some fantastic stories in that book. 
there there are some it's amazing that he can talk about them so uh, you know you're talking to a warrior a, a combat warrior when they can talk so nonchalantly about stuff that you're like okay if that just happened once in your life that's too much <laughs> but okay let's go to the next chapter yeah 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 but i love that uh he's brought his uh, warrior mentality into a, into the daily battle of the christian life uh i love that he's brought brotherhood and the lessons of brotherhood i love his humility i love the fact he doesn't travel alone he knows better uh yeah so what a what, what a great conversation I would, uh, I would love to talk more, uh, to, to get more educated and have a conversation for you, our listeners, about PTSD because yes. it is uh, those statistics that he was quoting are, are not uncommon. The amount of divorce and suicide is unbelievable. And it is, there's a book called On War. I actually tried to get the author uh, on here and wasn't able to, but can't remember his name, but if you look it up, it really explains what changed after World War II with training techniques so that going into the Vietnam War, how many more men were actually killing the enemy and what that did. Because after Vietnam War, the, the mental illness and suicide rates, well, how many people died in the Vietnam War? Like 60-some thousand, I think. I think so, and yes. the amount of suicides were almost three times that. It was in the mid hundred thousands. So almost three times as many Americans died after they got away from the enemy. Mm. So that was really a shift in what was happening with our soldiers and the book on war explains some of that, but I still feel like I don't have a grasp on it and I want to understand because these are, uh, these are our veterans. We have an obligation to care for and uh, love them well. Yes. And, and let's, let's not lose sight of the fact that you don't have to go to combat to experience that level of trauma. That's a good point. And we do now understand that at the heart of almost all addiction is trauma. Hmm. And uh, helping somebody come to terms with the effects of that. I, I liked his point uh, also today that uh, that, that post traumatic stress is actually the bo- the body's normal response to an abnormal situation. Yeah. That was that was helpful to me. Yeah. Absolutely. We're not and that's the book on war talks about that. We are yeah. not wired and this is coming from a colonel. We are yeah. not wired to look at our own species and pull the trigger. Yeah. And he talks about how historically, you know, warriors would meet on two different hills and basically make a big show of it have a little yeah. skirmish and then one group would run away. Yeah. That was kind of how a lot of wars were fought. Um, anyways, I won't try to explain the book, yeah. do a bad job, but it is, we're just not wired and you're right. You don't have to be in war. You could have been a victim of some sexual abuse. That is also mm-hmm. something you were not wired to have to cope with mentally and right. so brains like trying to deal with that. Neurological pathways are being dug. And so that's why you're, tripping back onto that track mm-hmm. you know that's really at the simplest what's what it's about and it's it's hard we need help doing it in isolation don't work yeah 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 and i'm glad so grateful that we have in the samson society a safe place where i can always bring my real self and i can i can find other brothers who are ready to uh walk in the same direction i am uh, walk in the light, tell me the truth, ask me to tell them the truth. It's a, where I can find a trustworthy traveling companion for this stretch of the road, as we say. Indeed. And uh, I'm grateful for you, Aaron, because you are a trustworthy traveling companion for this stretch of the road. I'm glad God put us together. And here we are all these years after first meeting and we're having conversations. It's a good thing. And I'm sitting in the next room over in the same house where we had that first phone conversation. I have wow. found myself back there all these years <laughs> later. Wow. Well, I, I have loved every minute of being a part of this journey with you. And we want to hear from you all out there that uh, you're a part of the journey and we might not even know you. So uh, give us a, write us a note, contact us, let us know what you're thinking, what you're into. Sure. Drop us a line at the at piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com.
Well, all right. That's well, all the time I, we've got for today. I think so. Regrettably so. But we'll come back. We'll come back next week, maybe. Yeah, so we've got someone scheduled next week. Do we? Okay, good. So until next week, I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. And we are your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Alan and